0: Thank you, team. Uh, throughout this uh, message series called You Asked For, we've been attempting to ask and answer the questions uh, that are common to people. So in the month of May, we solicited and gathered your questions, and then through June, July, and August, we're answering those questions. It could be any question about the Bible, any question about God, questions about social issues, and I'll tell you right now, we're not up here pretending or to have all the answers. We're doing our best just to take you to the Word of God to see what the uh, Word of God says about some of these things that we're asking and the questions that we're raising. Today is no different. Uh, We uh, have appreciated uh, some guest speakers throughout this service. A couple of weeks ago, Brian Miller was up here uh, speaking, blessed by him. Uh, Today, uh, Alan Mathna is our speaker. Uh, Alan, come on up a while as we uh, introduce you. There's a couple ways that I would introduce Alan. Alan is is an encourager. Uh, He has uh, been such a blessing to many of us here in ministry. Alan has been in ministry, pastoral ministry, for 52 years, that is worthy of celebration, right? I appreciate that. That is not to say that he's old or anything like that. He just started when he was probably like. 10 or something, right? So we uh, so appreciate Alan and Sharon being part of Grand Point Church uh, right now, and uh, it's such a blessing. I've heard this message twice, look forward to hearing it again, because it is about a place. It is about heaven. It is about hope. So Alan, I want to pray for you as we begin this morning. God, thank you so much for this servant of yours, this man who has served you faithfully in churches for 50 plus years. And now today, Lord, as we gather here in this place, I just want to thank you for this incredible message uh, that you have given to him in response to the questions that were asked. But the message of hope, the message of joy uh, that is coming at us. Just use him, give him strength for this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.
1: Thank you, Pastor. And thank you, Ben. Didn't you love the blue grass? I always thought somewhere deep Deep, deep down in Chris's musical soul, there was this little patch of Kentucky bluegrass. We want to talk about heaven today. A pastor was teaching. Great having the children out, wasn't it, seeing all those kids? It reminded me of the pastor who's teaching a bunch of kids, seven and eight-year-olds, about heaven. He's telling them what a wonderful place it is. Jesus will be there. People will be happy. People will be kind. But he wanted them to know how to get to heaven. He said, you have to be a Christian to get to heaven. And at the end of his little talk, he said again, you have to be a Christian to get to heaven. And said to the children then, where do you want to go? And little Judy shouted, heaven, I want to go to heaven. And he said, and what do you have to be to go to heaven? And little Johnny shouted, dead. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we want to look at heaven today. Specifically the question, what happens when we die? These are the questions I was given. Some people say we turn into angels. We watch over our families. There are different levels of heaven. Please clarify, and will I see my loved ones again? First, I believe the Bible is the only real, is the Word of God, of course, and it's the only real authoritative place we can find information on heaven. And we don't have to go too far into the Bible. In the opening chapters of the Bible, in Genesis, we have the creation story, and we discover that after creation was complete and before Adam sinned, There was this period of time here on earth when heaven, there was a slice of heaven on earth in the Garden of Eden. And we can learn from that slice of heaven on earth something about what we can expect heaven in the future to be. And that's what we would like to look at. One thing we learn about heaven from the opening chapters of the book of Genesis is an intrinsic part of our enjoyment of heaven will not only be our relationship with God, but also our relationship with people whom we knew on earth. Now, I want to stop for just a moment and thank Caressa Coldsmith, who on her Mother's Day, in her Mother's Day presentation touched on a point about relationships and a passage in Genesis that showed relationships because that was the seed for some of the thoughts I'm going to share with you. Uh, in the opening chapters of Genesis, we discover the most oft quoted sentence about creation is in the beginning, God created heavens and earth. But the most oft repeated sentence in the creation account is this, and God saw that it was good. You find it first in Genesis 1:4 after the appearance of light, and God saw it was good. And then in Genesis 1.10, after the dry land and came and appeared, God saw that it was good. In Genesis 1.12, after he created the plants and after he created trees and the like, God saw that it was good. And it just keeps going that way. God saw that it was good. Six times, and then the final time, after creation is complete, God looks back over it, and it says... God saw everything he made, and behold, it was very good. But in Genesis 2.18, suddenly, unexpectedly, we see a change. And it should stop us in our tracks. And the Lord God said, it is not good. What happened? Did Adam sin? No, he had not yet sinned. What happened? before the fall, that made God say it's not good. After all, Adam was in a perfect environment. Think about it. He was in this beautiful garden. Uh, he had the animal kingdom all around him and dominion over the animal kingdom. He had one-on-one communion with God. And maybe best of all, Adam had complete control of the remote. <laughs> what was not good? And God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Alone. I think you would agree with God. Ever been lonely? It is not good that man should be alone. But we first think, what do you mean, alone? You just said God. I mean, Adam could speak to God like you and I could speak to one another. What do you mean, alone? Hmm. Have uh, you as a husband ever said something like this to your wife trying to comfort her? Oh, but dearest, you have me. <laughs> you, you, you should be able to be happy. I should be able to make you complete. Aren't I enough to make you completely happy? The fact I have said that is troubling. The fact I said it and meant it is more troubling. The fact I said it and meant it and my wife Sharon knew I meant it. Believe me, became most troubling of all. <laughs> but when we're talking about God, why didn't that God say to Adam, Adam, you have me. Aren't I enough? God, that's a whole different level. What was lacking, of course, what God said made paradise less than complete was that man was alone. And by that, he really meant that man had no person. There were no other human beings. He had no one to fellowship with. And therefore, we think and believe that human relationships were an essential part of paradise, and of course, God corrected that. They were an essential part of paradise, and human relationships, relationships with others, will also be an essential part of heaven. I was walking one day, I was, chewing, I was after uh, Caress's message, and I'm thinking about this relationship thing, and I'm thinking, if I were the only one in heaven, by the way, that's not going to happen, but if I were the only one in heaven, just God, the angels, and me, God would say, There's something not good. So we learn from this that the presence of God and the presence of relationships with people are necessary for heaven to be complete. And it was a common thread, did you notice when I read the questions, that the idea of relationships, kind of a common thread throughout all those questions, it really did surprise me that no one asked, What does heaven look like? Where is heaven? And the Bible says there will be 12 gates of pearl. Whew. Like see that oyster. And the Bible also says the streets will be gold. Will Pastor Lawrence be permitted to ride his bicycle on the streets of heaven? That's a big question. Nobody asked it. Instead, questions related to will we know people? Will we know our families? Will we recognize our parents? What happens to us? Do we even retain our identity? Because the one question was, do we become angels? Will we cease to be human and become angels when we die? That brings us to the second point, and that is you are not an angel on earth, and you are not going to become an angel in heaven. But there aren't there angels in heaven, does it? Yes, there are a lot of angels, and they have a lot of responsibility but you and I are not going to become angels. Well, where did the angels come from? God created them. Back in the 148th Psalm, we read, praise Him, all of His angels. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at His command they were created. They were created by God. When were they created? Again, we're not left to wonder. We're told God is speaking to Job in the book of Job. And he says to him in chapter 38, Brace yourself like a man. I have a question for you. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations while the morning stars signed together and all the angels shouted for joy. So we discover God not only created the angels before he created man, he created them before he created the earth. And they witnessed God laying the foundation of the earth. And they were so excited that they shouted for joy at the amazing creative ability of God. Colossians tells us that Christ created Things visible, all things invisible as well. And for the most part, angels are spirit. They are invisible to the human eye. They're described that way in the Bible. Now, typically, we can't see angels, but you also probably know that they can appear as human beings. A couple angels appeared as humans to Abram in the Old Testament. He thought they were just two men, invited them in, showed them hospitality, in Hebrews 13.2, we read, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. They can also appear in a supernatural form. You remember the Christmas story. The shepherds are out. It's dark. They're out tending the sheep, and an angel appears. And they were terrified, the Bible says, because this angel didn't appear as a human. He appeared in supernatural form. And his first words to them Fear not. I bring you good tidings of great joy. Normally, we don't see angels. They're invisible. They're spirit creatures to the human eye. The human eye can't see ultraviolet light. You're aware of that. The band wave is so far beyond what the spectrum of what we can see. We can't see it. But if you turn an ultraviolet light on, you can see the effect of the light, even though you can't see the ultraviolet. Today, for the purpose of this illustration, I wore a white shirt. I wore blue shoes that have white soles. I even went so far as to dye my hair white just for today. (laughs) Now, suppose we could make it pitch black in the auditorium here. You would be able to know that I was here speaking. You would hear the effect of my presence, but you wouldn't know if I was standing there, back there, over there. You just wouldn't know. You would be conscious of the effect of my presence, but you couldn't see me. But suppose someone had an ultraviolet light, turned it on, and you would see me glow from head to toe. That's what ultraviolet will do. It will, you can't see the altar valid, but you can see the effect. And so it is with angels. Typically, we cannot see them, but we can see their effect. There was an incident in the Old Testament that shows this. It's in 2 Kings 6. There was a prophet by the name of Elisha. He kept telling the king of Israel, this is where the king of Syria and army is going to attack. And the king of Syria got tired of it. And he said, we're taking Elisha out. So he sent an army chariots and horses, sent an army to surround the city where Elisha and his servant were. And the servant looked out, saw all these soldiers, all these chariots and horses, and he was frightened. And he said, terrified to Elijah, what shall we do? And Elijah said, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, opened his eyes, Lord, that he may see The Lord opened the servant's eyes, he looked, he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. In terms of the illustration, God turned on the ultraviolet light for this servant and suddenly he saw all these angels and horses and chariots of fire. All along they had been restraining the Syrian army from attacking and God gave him the ability to see that which typically was invisible. The Bible tells us there are angels ministering spirits in Hebrews 1.4, and they're sent to serve those who are Christians, those who are heirs of salvation. We know that angels are ministering to those of us who know the Lord. We're not always sure when. We typically don't see them. But nonetheless, they are there. Today, children were dedicated to the Lord. So I want to remind the parents and all parents here of something Jesus taught about angels. It was in Matthew chapter 18. He called a child to him and he said, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. Now catch this, parents. I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. We will not become angels, but nonetheless, angels are real, and sometimes their ministry involves a ministry to those who are either Christian or will become Christians. Okay, we don't become angels when we die. Then what does happen? When you die, you will no longer be at home in the body. Instead, you will be at home with the Lord. We have that assurance uh, many times in the Bible. The Apostle Paul wrote this in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5-6 that we're confident we know that as long as we're at home in the body we're away from the lord but we are confident i say we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the lord but how do we get there that's kind of scary i mean here we are at home in the body on earth i don't know where heaven is i think it's a long way off if i'm left in my home to find it I might get lost in space. How does God take care of this? I was listening to Dr. David Jeremiah. And he was talking about this and suggested something that never had occurred to me. He was telling the story that Jesus told about Lazarus, the beggar, by the rich man's gate. And in Luke 8, 16, 22, he read, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abram's side. And I'd never noticed that before. And Dr. Jeremiah said, notice how Lazarus got to heaven. Angels transported him. We don't have to find our way there on our own. We have an angelic escort. I'm glad. I'm glad directionally challenged when our souls go to be with the lord at the moment of death they pass through an incredible stretch of atmosphere between heaven and earth angels take us to heaven so we won't have to make the journey alone many of you have been with christians when they passed away and you might say i never saw i never saw any angels you wouldn't expect to they're invisible we don't see them but they guide us home And then when Jesus referenced heaven, he references it as my father's house. And he said something. He taught that heaven is a place where no one will fill out a place. He said in my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare you a place. In other words, when we arrive in heaven, we will be expected. Have you ever gone somewhere and felt, oh, oh. Communication failure or something. Nobody expected me to be here. We had some kind of a breakdown. You remember how awkward that is. It's terrible. Jesus is preparing a place for each of his children, preparing a place for you. And he knows what time you're arriving to your heavenly home, because if you read Psalm 139, like Pastor Lawrence told you to do this past week, you'll discover a passage in there that tells you, even as your body was knit together in your mother's womb, all your days were already written in the book of God. Jesus will be ready. He knows when you're coming. And he will be ready and prepared for you. Will we know our relatives in heaven? Yes, I believe we will. The Bible would seem to indicate that we will remember this is my dad, this is my mom, this is my brother, this is my sister, here's Aunt Sally, that we will remember them when we arrive in heaven. Sometimes we forget that. There's a passage in the Old Testament, I think, that teaches us that. It's about King David. He had a son. The baby lived seven days. During those seven days, David wept and he prayed and he asked God to save the life of his son. But the son died. And the servants were afraid to tell David. And in 2 Samuel 12, when the child was yet alive, David said, I fasted and I wept and I said, Who can tell whether God will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he is dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. What was the source of David's comfort? Not that his son was going to be with the Lord. That was part of it. But that he was going to know his son. Someday, and he would know who his son was. David's silence is also interesting. David didn't say, I wonder if his eyes will be blue. I wonder how tall he'll be. What color will his hair be in heaven? What age will he appear to be? And he's just a little baby. Who's taking care of him? We have a lot of questions the Bible doesn't address, but God addresses those questions that we have to comfort our heart and the comfort that David had, all those other questions aside, he was going to see this child again, and he would know it was his son. We will even know other people that we've never met. Aren't you glad? no name tags in heaven, no more, oh, no, there's so-and-so, but I can't remember her name, and the harder you try, the worse it gets. On the Mount of Transfiguration, we discover we had a little taste of heaven. Jesus appeared in all of his glory, and appearing with him, Elijah and Moses, And Peter, when he saw Elijah and Moses, and he was so excited, he said, Lord, let's build some tents here. One for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. How did he know who Elijah and Moses were? They didn't have photographs. They didn't have video, things of that nature. We will retain our identity in heaven, just as we have our identity here on earth Again, Psalm 139, why would God so intentionally mold us? Knit us together in our mother's womb. Why would he do that and then scrap it all when we get to heaven? Now, most of what I've spoken about today has been about our relationship with others. But I also said something about heaven. Part of heaven will also be our relationship with God. I want to close with this thought. Have you ever thought about what it'll be like when you go to heaven and you see God and you see God's face? You say, what do you mean, see God's face? God's a spirit. Uh, he, he doesn't have a face. And I thought if you saw God's face anyhow, you would die. Hold the phone. Remember, it was Jesus who said to the children, I tell you, the angels in heaven see the face of my Father in heaven. Ooh, Jesus, is the one who said God has a face. Now, whatever that means, however you want to interpret it, and I'm sure I don't know exactly what it means, but we can't help but wonder what are we going to see when we see the face of God? For 30 years, Sharon and I took pictures with a camera and film. So we have all these three and a half by five pictures and many of them are at holidays like Christmas and our families would gather together our entire families could be together for most Christmases and we would go to our dad's house and we would be in the father's house and we would have a great time and believe me our families could be noisy and we had five little giggling girls in the one family and there's paper going everywhere and laughter And when I'm looking at some of the pictures and put them on the screen of the computer, they were larger, I saw my dad's face and I saw my father-in-law's face, both of whom were Christians. And I realized, I saw this look of joy and delight that I'm ashamed to say I had missed. I can't even describe it. It was so wonderful. And I realized the father's joy and delight was seeing all of his children and grandchildren and family together in the father's house and seeing their joy and their happiness. You're going to see that joy and happiness on the face of God. We know that because Zedekiah tells us the Lord your God is with you. He's mighty to save. Notice this. He will take great delight in you. Just like my father. Great delight in you. He will rejoice over you with singing. God's going to sing. Don't know if it'll be bluegrass or not, but God's going to sing in heaven. I will gather you at that time, God said, and I will bring you home. God's joyous face and delight when we see his face in heaven will be that all of his family gather together. Our joy, our happiness that he has provided for us will show on his face. It'll be a great celebration. Will you be a part of that celebration when we see the face of God in the place of God by the grace of God? And you may say you don't know me. I am a sinner. You don't know what I've done. And all I'm telling you is once you know you're a sinner, you're a candidate for salvation. Because the Bible said God commended his love toward us. in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for you. And therefore, as Pastor Lawrence read earlier, we know that it's by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace of God through faith in his Son. Ask Christ to forgive you. Come into your life and become a part of the family, and someday you will see God's face. And you're going to hear God sing, and we're going to rejoice together, and God will rejoice with us. So let the rejoicing begin.